0: My mother passed away at the age of 49. Anybody's passing is important to you. It makes you get really quiet. and makes you dig deep into who you are and what you want to do with the rest of your time. I just thought, I can't keep telling these same boring stories. There has to be something that I could do with my skill set. It could be more meaningful to who I am.
1: You're listening to Build a Better Wellness Biz. I'm your host, Jeremy Enns. In this episode, I'm talking with Cher Hale.
0: So you can't see me right now, but I'll tell you that I am all three Taiwanese, Black and American. And I mentioned my heritage first because it drives so much of who I work with now and what I do professionally now.
1: To be exact, Cher is the woman behind Ginkgo PR, a public relations company with a bit of a twist.
0: Growing up, I did not see a lot of women who looked like me in the media, which was normal at the time. And so it really inspired me to work more with people who are underrepresented or marginalized to help them take their stories back from the media and tell it in their own words and with their own voices.
1: If you're confused about what exactly PR is, here's how Cher approaches it.
0: Podcast interview pitching, editorial pitching to like journalists and editors, TV interviews, radio and speaking engagement. So the whole gambit when it comes to PR.
1: As small business owners and entrepreneurs, a lot of us get stuck thinking that PR is only for massive brands, celebrities, and the top subject matter experts in the world. It's definitely not something we are qualified to pursue. But is that really the case?
0: People assume that the media wants hard credentialed experts all of the time, and that's just not the case. A lot of what's missing from the media is real stories from real people.
1: As Cher explains, you and I are often more than qualified to land media features, and the only thing holding us back is often ourselves.
0: People who have a really strong, cohesive, relevant message for right now will tell me, am I the right person to say this? Am I the right person to be doing this? Should I be pitching myself?
1: At the root of that doubt is often a fear of rejection. According to Cher, however, rejection isn't always a bad thing, and the fear of it is something we can work through.
0: What I find is that people have a very specific idea of what rejection means and what they make it mean about them. Once we can unpack that, I can start asking them questions like, "Okay, has there ever been a time when you were rejected and it was a good thing?
1: PR is a powerful tool when it comes to validating your brand in the eyes of your customers and clients, as well as spreading your message beyond your existing network. It's also something that is actually a lot more accessible than we might think, If only we would get out of our own way. In this episode, Cher and I discuss what goes into a winning pitch, how to leverage successful media features to get additional value out of them, and the foundation you need in place to maximize the ROI of your PR efforts. We also dig into how, as small business owners, we have more influence than we might realize when it comes to empowering others and creating impact in the world, something Cher is incredibly passionate about.
0: I think that we have an inherent responsibility to society to do something meaningful. Um, So a lot of it's making money, right? Like, I think that we have an obligation to make massive amounts of money. The people who are worried about making too much money are the ones who absolutely need to make more money. (laughs) We're the ones that deserve to make more money because we're going to do good things with it.
1: To start off, I wanted to hear about one of the biggest media placements Cher has had for one of her clients and the impact that feature had on their business.
0: So I had a client who really wanted to be on the Goop podcast with Gwyneth Paltrow, and luckily she had kind of a warm contact there, so we pitched her. And the managing editor said, you know what, it's not a fit for the podcast, but we'll give you a Q&A on the website. So we did the Q&A on the website, and within a week, because it was such her perfect audience and the right message, she was able to land five clients immediately um, of like long term life coaching clients and made $50,000 in that week and then continued on to make even more money from that piece um, because it's an evergreen piece. And that's great about the PR is that the content stays online forever and keeps generating interest back to your business.
1: So I think there are a lot of misconceptions that a lot of small business owners and coaches and solopreneurs have about PR. And if they don't know any better, they might think that PR is just something for billion dollar companies who have a whole internal PR team. So in your experience, when you're you know talking to people about what you do and who you help, what are some of the misconceptions that you run into commonly and, and how do you actually you know present PR as, as who it's for and, and how it can help them?
0: There are two sides to this equation because sometimes people come to me too early in the process. Like they want to rush to be online famous before they're actually ready to have the foundation to do that. And so that there's that misconception is like PR is for any stage of business or they take it from like the tech sort of perspective of like you have to get PR now before you launch. And that's just not the case. If you're a solopreneur or a coach, you really have to build a client base get to know each of their problems and their solutions individually, and then build from there before you can, you know, even create a passive product, to be honest. Like people like to skip steps. And I think that PR is one of those they like to skip too. On the other end, um, people assume that they're not ready. (laughs) So there's like, you know, two sides of this coin. Um, People who have a lot of experience, people who have a really strong, cohesive, relevant message for right now will tell me, am I the right person to say this? Am I the right person to be doing this? Should I be pitching myself? Or does it seem like I'm being advantageous in a really sensitive moment? And I think that they just need someone to validate their ideas, which is totally understandable. We're not sure if we're just living in a silo on our island (laughs) with good ideas or if they really do matter in the greater landscape. So having someone who is well-versed in that industry and with the media um, to be a sounding board for you is, is a really valuable experience.
1: Yeah, and we're going to come back to that kind of idea of how fear can hold you back, especially when you're pitching on your own. Um, But I'm curious too, you kind of mentioned that a lot of times it might be around current events or something like that where people don't want to be insensitive. But I think also a lot of times people have a lot of self doubt around, am I expert enough? You see somebody in the New York Times or in Forbes or entrepreneur or on some big podcast, and you're like, well, that person's just way out of my league. Like, I don't know enough to be featured there. In your experience, are most people actually a higher level expert than they think they are?
0: Yeah. And I think that people assume that the media wants hard credentialed experts all of the time. And that's just not the case. You do not have to have a PhD to give commentary on a topic. A lot of what's missing from the media is real stories from real people who are willing to be named and pictured. So if you're willing to offer that like personal narrative in an honest and transparent way, you have a lot of chance to get press.
1: I'll be honest, PR was something that had intimidated me for a long time. Like many people, maybe even you, I regularly deal with imposter syndrome, even in the areas in which I'm most knowledgeable, such as podcasting and podcast marketing. Things started to shift, however, when I started seeing some peers in the industry get featured in places like Forbes, Entrepreneur, and other big publications. While they were all smart people, When I read the features, it was strikingly clear to me that I knew and had just as much to offer as they did. That realization was a pivotal moment in shaping my views around PR and the value that I can bring to the table.
0: You have to have that moment of, oh, that could have been me, or oh, I could have said that better, for you to really understand and get like the moxie to pitch yourself. Because until then, you're wondering, should it be me? You see somebody who is less qualified than you and tell their story and you're like, huh, that should definitely be me. And that definitely gives you the, the confidence
1: to move it forward. So you talked a little bit earlier about the importance of having a foundation in place before you start uh, promoting yourself and getting your message out there further. So I'm curious, when your clients come to you, What types of results are they typically looking to achieve and do they have a specific type of product that's already in place that they're looking to get out there further? Are there certain types of offers or client work or anything like that that are a good fit for a PR campaign?
0: There are typically three people who come to me. One is they have a book coming out in like three to six months and they really want to amplify book sales. The other person is someone who. Is like a coach or a consultant um, and they have maybe a group program or one-on-one work and they want to bring in new leads for those programs or their services. And the other person is looking to help amplify their platform so that they can attract a book deal or speaking gigs. They want to develop their thought leadership and create a really solid audience base so that they can go to agents and say, look what I've built. So those are the three main people who come to me. I tend not to work with anybody who has a product, not because I don't want to, but because that's just not who I tend to attract. Um, I work with a lot of experts and a lot of people who um, wanna be thought leaders.
1: Okay, and so I know from experience in talking to a number of people who do different forms of PR that like, this is not something that is super cheap to run uh, on an ongoing basis. So in terms of assessing like, whether you're gonna see an ROI on this, you should have probably have a pretty solid digital marketing funnel background or a high-level product offering or service or whatever that is. Like when you work with people who have gotten, you know, positive ROI off of these campaigns, what does their back end kind of setup look like so that you know they get this exposure and then how do they capitalize on that going forward?
0: Yeah, I think the one of my best clients who has had the most results and been able to leverage all of her press in the most strategic way uh, has a podcast has a really healthy engagement on Instagram. So she takes time to answer everyone's comments, everyone's DMs, um, create content for them every single day. Uh, She also has a really regular consistent newsletter. So she's always creating content and she's always responding to content and she's putting new things out there. And every time we land an interview on her behalf, She does her best to make a connection with the host. And she always says, hey, um, to help promote this episode, how about we jump on IG Live together? The day goes live. And so that way you can get some of my audience members too. Like she has it all a smooth functioning system um, so that as soon as anyone new comes into her world, they feel taken care of, considered, and seen. And so I think someone like that who has all of those pieces set up with the marketing is really well-poised to benefit from PR.
1: Although Cher didn't name her client here, I think I know who she's talking about, and she's actually going to be an upcoming guest on the podcast. And yeah, she clearly knows what she's doing when it comes to leveraging relationships, PR, and building an audience of superfans. What I love most about this example is Cher's client's direct involvement with her audience and the time she clearly takes in nurturing her relationship with them. Outsourcing your PR, social media management, podcast production, or content creation can save you a lot of time and improve your results in each of those fields. But it's hard, if not impossible, to outsource building an authentic relationship with your audience. Yes, it takes time to interact and build a relationship with your followers, but that relationship will be the foundation of your business and is more than worth the effort in the long run. While we've been talking so far about Cher's clients and the successes she's helped them achieve by no means do you need to hire a PR agency to land media features or podcast guest appearances. I wanted to know what Cher would recommend as the first steps for someone who is looking to try and land these placements on their own.
0: I always tell them first, and this is like your standard boring answer, it's not sexy at all, to look at your target audience, right? Who are they? Where are they hanging out? What are they doing? And what are they interested in? And once you can identify those pillars, you're able to choose podcasts that perfectly align to um, all of your goals, right? And who you want to attract. Um, And I would say that that's really all you have to do to set our solid foundation, The actual pitching process, of course, is quite technical. It can be, but in my experience, people tend to overcomplicate it. (laughs) A lot of what you have to say is, hi, I know your show. I know you have interests in like, you know, these three topics. My name is Victoria. Would you be interested in having me on your show to discuss these three topics? I have this experience. Here's my Instagram. Of course, I'd be willing to share the episode if it went live, if you choose to work with me. And I think that that's about as simple as it needs to be is I know you, I know what you're interested in. Here's what I have to bring to the table. What do you think? And once people can start to practice that, just like pitching is definitely a muscle that you have to practice. That you have to exercise. Um, it becomes easier and easier to just put yourself out there.
1: Yeah, it definitely does. And I know that I, that's something that I've had, uh, holdups, uh, about in the past. And the more you do it, the easier it gets. And I was actually doing some, uh, podcast guest interview request for people to have uh, on this show today. And there were some people who I'd looked up to for a long time and I had kind of put them off. I'd reached out to all the other people on my list who were like, I didn't have up on this pedestal kind of. And then finally I was like, okay, I can't put this off any longer. And so once I did the first one, then I was like, okay, these emails are good. I know these people, I know their content, like, okay, we'll just get them all done and sent out the rest of those pitches. But uh, I think that it's kind of, you need to rip the bandaid off at some point. And, uh, And once you do it once, it becomes much, much easier going forward. So in that previous example, you were talking about pitching podcast hosts. If people are looking to uh, get you know either TV or print appearances or anything like that, are there different ways of uh, approaching that pitching process? Like there's not a public host of a podcast that you can just find on iTunes a lot of times. So how do you go about finding those more traditional types of, of media?
0: Yeah, I would say when it comes to print. So we're thinking like websites these days has the most ROI for entrepreneurs as opposed to like getting a print in Cosmo, for example, like not, it's gonna be cool. You're gonna feel cool, but it will make a huge difference for bottom line. Yeah. So if you're looking for websites, make a decision about what you want. Do you want to write the article and contribute to the site? Or do you want to be featured on the site where the journalist writes about you or like does a and A with you? Sometimes too, you have the option of being like the expert source in the article. Like nutritionist Nicole says that you should never eat more than six meals a day. Uh, So you have like that kind of option as well. Or you could be in a roundup list where you're like, these 10 entrepreneurs are giving advice for how to be top of your game at 6 a.m. every morning, whatever the the weird headline is. Um, So you have that option. When you're pitching that, so let's say that you do um, a contribution instead of a feature, you're going to want to look at the guidelines on the site first. So like a Forbes Versus a business insider, very different. One might say, write the piece in full and then pitch it. And the other might say, uh, just pitch us the idea. Give us some links to your writing and then let us know how long the piece might be. And we'll we'll let you know if we want it. So, you know, there's two different sides. So always read the submission guidelines and then you can decide what happens next. If you're pitching for a feature, you always wanna pitch like the freelance journalist Not the staff. The staffs right now are completely overwhelmed with content. Um, they have all of their own schedules to adhere to, they're totally slammed. So you really need to just pitch freelance journalists instead who have much more flexibility and are always collecting people to use in stories. In that situation like that, you just want to say, Hi, I'm Nicole. I have these expertise, is (laughs) I can comment on these things. Uh, If you have any need for this kind of commentary or narrative, just let me know, and I'm available for a phone call or email interview. And so you're able to begin to make that connection with them.
1: Okay, and what type of kind of success rate are we looking at here for every, you know, 10 pitches? How often should you expect a reply, and how long a process is this to actually start getting these features once you start doing the outreach and pitching?
0: Yeah. This is like the ultimate question, right? Like when, when do I know that it's working? Uh, And it's really tough to say it depends on the industry. I don't want to sound like a lawyer. It does depend. Um, But let's say for example, if you're pitching a podcast and you are in HR leadership, the podcast that you're pitching won't have huge audiences. And because of that, you might get a higher return on your initial investment. So you might see three interviews come through for every 10 pitches that you send, so a 30% conversion rate. Mm -hmm. Um, If you are, however, in the business space, like you're a branding expert, it might be more like one or two interviews for every 10 pitches that you send, just because there's much more saturation in that space. And so we want to be mindful of those benchmarks and and your industry before you think like, oh, nobody wants to talk to me. or like my message isn't useful for them um, because it really does depend on how many other experts you're competing with. Uh, for editorial, it's different. It's, it's really tough these days, I would say. For contribution, you might see a 25% conversion, but for if you're asking to be featured or to be an expert in a piece, it's more like a 1% conversion, which sounds super depressing, but the 1% does end up mattering a lot. Like the pieces you do land are big.
1: As you heard Landing media placements, especially big ones, can take a lot of work, patience, and persistence. This means that when you do get a feature, it's essential to squeeze every last bit of the juice out of it that you possibly can. I asked Cher about how to leverage past media features to keep the momentum going and turn them into new and maybe even bigger opportunities.
0: So I had two clients uh, who were co-authors of a book and we landed them a huge placement, a huge feature on NBC Better. And the third or fourth hour of the Today Show with Hoda, I don't know if you're familiar with how this segment runs, but she chooses articles at the end of each of her segments to just discuss from the day before. And she happened to choose Chris Marie and Susan's article. And she gave them like 60 full minutes, put the book on the screen, said their names, discussed strategy. It was incredible. Chris Marie or Susan's sister happened to watch it as it was happening, let us know that it was happening. And so that's a good example of how an article can become TV. We took it a step further and we were able to take like the Today Show mention and put it in all of their press kits, all of their future pitches, in their bio, on their website, just like pretty much put it wherever we possibly could so that they'd been on the Today Show featured without having to necessarily go in studio and travel for the, for the segment. Um, but I also decided to pitch the producer of the Today Show Again, and say, "Hey, Hoda loved this article. If you'd like to have them on the show, here are other things that they can discuss for couples in conflict." And so we were able to just continue the relationship that way. And then, of course, we put it on social media, we put it in their newsletter, wherever we could blast it out. We talked about it, and so you just want to keep talking about it. You just want to keep bringing it up. And in future pitches, you can say, "By the way, I was featured in the Today Show about this topic," um, and it helps bring that sense of credibility and trust to the conversation.
1: Yeah. And so I imagine that once one uh, media agency or whoever it is or publication has seen that, you know, somebody else has vetted you, that they're probably more likely to to take a chance on you as well.
0: Yeah. I'd say that they'll give you strong consideration as opposed to just deleting your email.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a, a win there for sure. So we touched on earlier this topic of how fear comes into play when putting ourselves out there and this, you know, as entrepreneurs, as business owners, We have to do this all the time, put ourselves out there, creating something that might not exist before, and that's always scary. But here, this feels like a very direct, like, hey, here's something I think I can offer. And sometimes, you know, you might get an email back, and sometimes it might just be a brick wall and never hearing back. And that can be really crippling for, you know, a lot of people. I don't know that anybody loves rejection. (laughs) but. I know something that you've talked about is that this can be really further amplified for people of color or LGBTQIA people uh, and really people who don't see a lot of people like them in the media to begin with. And you talked about how this is one of the things that got you into doing this work in the first place. So whether you're from an underrepresented group or you're just someone who has this fear of rejection and putting yourself out there and either getting you know negative feedback or no feedback, how do you kind of coax people to take the leap and you know, make that pitch?
0: I try to ask everyone about their relationship so far to rejection. Because what I find is that people have a very specific idea of what rejection means and what they make it mean about them. And once we can unpack that, I can start asking them questions like, okay, but has there ever been a time when you were rejected and it was a good thing in the end? Where you didn't get the job but thank God you didn't get the job. Or the girl, I said, no, you got that at the prom, but actually she was like kind of a jerk anyway. You didn't really want to go with her. Have you considered the time that rejection helped you in your life, where it moved you forward in the right direction? And if you can consider moments like that, it can help you reframe your relationship to rejection. And so every time you hit send or every time that you follow up, you can say, no matter what happens here, It doesn't mean anything about me, and I have no idea what might happen. I've sent so many pitches where they were hard no's to my client, but I was able to pitch another client in their place where the conversation was still open, right? Like a no to a pitch is never a no to a conversation or never a no to a relationship, I have made so many friends from my pitches. I mean, I've like brought in clients from my pitches where they were a no to the pitch, but they were a yes to that connection. And so you want to think about the moments in your life so far where rejection helped you um, rather than hurt you. And if you think that someone's denying you based on like you're not interesting enough or you're not cool enough to be in my circle, consider what you're making that mean about you. Like, do you really believe that? Uh, and so there's a little bit of mindset work to do here, of course, but I find that that one question of, of when has reaction really helps you, helps people just relax a little bit. Like, oh, it's easier to pitch myself when I'm not assuming that I know what's going to
1: happen. I think that's so often when we're thinking about rejection, we're making up all the stories and a lot of times it's, we don't get an email back or it might be just, you know, one sentence story, we're not interested or whatever that is. And we fill in all of these blanks about all the reasons why they're not interested when it could just be bad timing. It could be that they just had someone on who was a similar subject matter expert two weeks ago and that, you know, they're not gonna have another one on right away. And we, of course, jump to the extremes and be like, well, they hate me, they don't think I'm good enough, and all these different things that you have no proof for. And it's highly unlikely that they're true, but our brains kind of just fill in the gaps with the the worst case possible scenario there.
0: Yeah, and I find too that people just stop the conversation too early. Someone might say to you, because they're quickly going through their inbox, no, not interested. And so I like to ask should I circle back in six months? Is your calendar full right now? Is this topic even of interest to you? Are you considering guests? I try to like get something in there to help continue the conversation so that I have more insight into their behind the scenes and their thinking. And once I have more information, then I can make more strategic, more considerate next steps, decisions for them.
1: Yeah. And one of the things, whether it's pitching uh, other podcast hosts or whatever it is, um, and I've done cold outreach for a number of things in the past, but I've kind of had to force myself into the mindset of really making them give me the no. I heard somebody say this, like, don't say no for them, basically. So often we'll like do a little tentative, like, hey, is this okay? And then we don't hear back. And so we'll again say like, oh, they must have said no. But really, like, I have got so many results from following up two, three, four times when somebody's come back to me and said, oh, actually, yeah, I thank you so much for following up. Like, I've been meaning to respond to you and it just keeps getting pushed off. And I know Myself, there are people in my inbox who I've not responded to, and I almost wish they would follow up with me because I feel bad that I haven't done it. But it's so far down, hundreds of emails down, that i have to go look for it. So if you're one of those people who's listening, who's emailed me in the past and I haven't responded to, uh, I'll probably be grateful if you just sent me a reminder right now and I'll, I'll respond to you tomorrow.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the things that I do, because obviously I get rejections all day, every day, this is part of my job, is I like to keep a rejection file on my computer and I copy and paste all of like the nice things people say to me, like, thanks for following up. You're one of the most thoughtful publicists ever. Like all of like the positive feedback I got on for my pitches, I put them all in one place. So when I get a really tough rejection, I just read through them and I can remember, I know what I'm doing. I'm good at this. And this person is just like, for whatever reason, saying no, not my problem.
1: <laughs> Share is one of the very best PR pitches that I know. And while I can't recommend her highly enough, I know that professional PR services aren't in the budget for everyone. But like we've talked about in this episode, that doesn't mean you can't get started pitching yourself. Like we've talked about, guesting on podcasts is one of the very best ways to increase your exposure and spread your message. And it's totally doable yourself. When done right, guesting on other shows allows you to get in front of hundreds or even thousands of your ideal clients and then pull them back to your own content. I put together a free mini course to help you understand how to target the right shows for you and make pitches that actually get you booked. To sign up for the course, just head over to betterwellness.biz slash podcast guesting to get the first video in your inbox today. Oh, and stay tuned to the end of this episode as Cher has a free offer that will help you maximize the effect of everything you learn in this mini course. So far, we've talked a lot about PR in this episode, and while Cher is definitely one of the best and most knowledgeable people on the topic, that's not the only thing I find fascinating about her and her business. Like me and many listeners of the show, Cher has a strong belief that we have the ability and responsibility to use our businesses to create meaningful change in the world. For her, this sense of responsibility runs through every piece of her business, from the people she works with to how she invests the company's profit. I wanted to know how she thinks about our responsibility as small business owners and entrepreneurs and how her beliefs show up in the work she does.
0: I believe so inherently that if we make money, we must contribute our money um, in a way that serves our communities and that helps future generations thrive. You know, you hear so much about the wealth gap and the pay gap with minorities and people who are marginalized in particular. And I think that's because we never had a chance to build real wealth for ourselves and pass it down to our children. And what might change if business owners were able to create that wealth, give it to communities, but also keep it in their own families so that we can continue to see this forward momentum. Um, So a lot of it is making money, right? Like Mm -hmm. I think that we have an obligation to make massive amounts of money um, because the people who are worried about making too much money are the ones who absolutely need to make more money. We're the ones that deserve to make more money because we're going to do good things with it. I like to build giving back into every aspect of my business. So one of the things we began to do during the pandemic when it first started um, was I I put a dollar amount for every interview we booked for our clients. And I put a dollar amount to every client we landed. And every time I got a referral for a client, I put a dollar amount to that too, and so at the end of each month, we choose, with my team, a nonprofit that we think that we admire or that we think is most useful for today's current events. And we add up all that money from our month and we donate it to charity. And it's so much fun for us to feel like every day we sit at our desk, what would we do directly contribute to a greater cause? And I feel like if we can, as business owners, do something like that, we're, we're able to make a daily impact where we can feel the impact on a very visceral level.
1: Yeah, I love how you've built systems around it and really woven it, like you said, into every aspect of your business. Because I think that that's one of the things where so many people with good intentions, especially as business owners and entrepreneurs, there are so many things we want to do to grow our business and market our businesses and do good in the world. And any of those things, no matter what it is, if we don't have systems around them, we have to make a decision to do it and that gets put off and put off and put off and soon it's six months and you haven't contributed any amount and all of a sudden this dollar amount, you've got all these new clients and all these things and it's like, oh, I didn't set aside that much money. I, I guess I'll just start like next month. But I think having that kind of like monthly system and everything defined with a dollar amount makes it really easy to follow through on that and uh, and actually see, you know, the change hopefully that you are, are creating and uh, the organizations that you're supporting. So what are some of the kind of core values in your business that kind of informed your view on what your business can do beyond just serving your clients?
0: I think that we have an inherent responsibility to society to to do something meaningful. I've always believed that. So I think that responsibility is a huge value. Mm -hmm. Um, Honesty, so and transparency is really clear to me. It's like, you know, we see so many companies falling these days, or not even companies, but like big coaches with huge platforms kind of like nosediving because of their lack of transparency or their lack of awareness. So transparency is a huge thing for me. And I think that if your conversations don't sting a little bit, they're not transparent enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it should t- you should feel a little bit hesitant to say what you want to say. Um, but, you know, those are the ones that need to be said the most. And then I think the last, the th- the last core value here would be um, integrity. So walking our talk. Like I'm obsessed with making sure that I'm doing what I say I'm going to do. And I try to do that in every aspect of business. And if I don't, I keep people in my life who I know will check me. And that's really important.
1: Yeah, I think that's a a huge one. And I think a a lot of times, especially as a business owner, especially when you're starting out and you might have people who come up as contractors and they might take on more and more responsibility. When you're a contractor working a few hours a week, you're probably not going to call the boss out on doing, you know, something that might not align with the company's values, but potentially they they take that mindset with them as they take on more and more and more. And if you never say to your team and the people who are working with you, and, and maybe that's even your clients, um, I think that that's something that's that's really important to make public and say like, hey, this is what we stand for. And, you know, anybody I want to be called out if I'm not living up to this. And so if you see me doing something that is, you know, we have these values and that I'm doing something that's outside of that, like you're doing me a favor by like pointing it out. And let's talk about like, why is this happening? And what can we do to actually get things back where we want to be and and living our values? So you talked about in your business, you contribute a lot of money and uh, and support different causes. Are there other ways that you have seen uh, businesses really kind of live their values and contribute to their communities that, you know, someone listening might be able to gain some inspiration to implement in their own businesses?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it goes back to like my OG days in PR, uh, because I wouldn't have learned what I learned if someone more expert than me hadn't taken the time to teach me in a really generous, loving role model way. And so I think what businesses, I see businesses do really well, they would take someone who's like, you know, green in the industry and they mentor them. Um, They take the time to, to answer their questions and concerns and help just guide them on a path. And that to me is totally invaluable. Taking the time to answer someone's questions and just help them continue to move forward, um, and to see what's possible for them, as opposed to what they've been told
1: that's possible for them. And I think that that's probably, again, like with your the people that you serve and people who might not know anyone who looks like them working in a specific job. Like I think that that is just such a huge source of power and and influence that you know we can have as business owners. Where you know somebody's looking to break into an industry, and I know that for myself, like there are not a lot of women in uh, audio engineering. And I'm happy to have, right now, we have one um, woman on the team and we've had, used to have two and two uh, gender split, but that's something that I've been, conscious about in that I went to audio school and I think out of a class of 20, there was like three women in the class. So I know that that's like an issue there. So just like being conscious about both hiring, but also mentoring, like, okay, am I just like feeding into this kind of generic group of people who already, you know, have these opportunities uh, and how am I being mindful about that?
0: Absolutely. It's so important just to stay aware. What happens is that people tend to think it's okay just to keep digging into your network Which is a systemic problem, right? (laughs) That's the real problem is if you don't surround yourself with people who don't look like you or think like you, um, you'll never have diversity in your business. Um, So a lot of it is just being systematic about finding diversity and, and making it a real goal in the business. And not everyone's willing to do that.
1: So I want to get into a little bit of your business journey here further. So looking back a year ago, what was something that you were stuck on that now you've moved through, and how did you make that transition?
0: Oh, there was so much upheaval last year. It felt like everything was falling apart so that it could come back together. I think about, I think it was a year, 14 months ago, I was working with, primarily with like white female life coaches of a certain socioeconomic level. They could afford me. And I was just so bored to tears of telling the same story over and over and I thought, something's got to change. And unfortunately, uh, my mother passed away at the age of 49, so very young. And she was uh, a romance novelist, if you can believe it, like on the side. That was her side gig. Um, and she was really into the idea of getting her books published. But unfortunately, never got a chance to. And so after she passed, you know, anybody's passing is important to you. It makes you get really quiet. and makes you dig deep into who you are and what you want to do with the rest of your time. And that's definitely what it did for me. I just thought I can't take, I can't keep telling these same boring stories. There has to be something that I could do with my skill set that could be more meaningful to who I am. And my mother being an immigrant from Taiwan and being black and Chinese, had a lot of diversity happening in her story that most people will never learn about her. And so I thought she's not the only one. Like it's me too. And I know plenty of other minority business owners who are in the same boat, who aren't getting the press or the platform that they could use for their businesses. Um, So let me try to do that. Let me try to like amplify those voices and who I'm targeting. Um, But it was tough because I live in Spokane, Washington, which is right on the border of Idaho, which if you are familiar with the area, it's very white. It's a super white majority. Um, So the first thing that I had to do was expand the diversity in my personal network, and once I did that, I had to put myself out there to be visible. And then once I did that, I was able to start attracting the right clients into my business who had diverse, interesting stories, who were LGBTQ+, who had disabilities, who were maybe um, outside of like the thin norm that we see on TV or that the media likes to champion us best, or who were her brown or black. Um, and it took a long time to get there, I gotta be honest with you. But finally I'm at a place where like, All of the back end that I did to change um, the diversity in my world turned into the diversity of my client roster.
1: So in creating this show, I have put a lot of thought into what the word better means, build a better wellness biz. And so I'm curious to hear from you when you think about building better, what does that kind of call to mind?
0: It calls to mind that quote of um, once you know better, you have to do better. And so I think there's this pervasive idea that I have of like, even if it's from five minutes ago, if I've learned something new, I need to act on it. So doing better, being better, um, trying to do something better is just learning something and then trying it out, putting it into action, not just sitting on it forever (laughs) and thinking about it, but really um, making a stand to take some action.
1: I really loved what Cher said about once you know better, you need to do better. So for this week's question to you, I want to hear what's something that you've recently learned or discovered that has changed the way you operate. For me, it was actually the influence of people like Cher, as well as a couple of other upcoming guests on the podcast who had built systems around charitable contributions. Once they had shown me the roadmap, I realized that I didn't have any excuse not to take action on it. As a result, our team now contributes $5 per client podcast episode we produce, choosing a different organization to support each month you can head over to betterwellness.biz slash voice to leave me a message about what it is that you've learned recently that's changed the way you run your business. And I'd love to feature your response on an upcoming episode. To find out more about Share, you can head over to ginkoprcom slash subscribe. And Ginkgo has a bit of a funny spelling. It's g-i-n-k-g-o-p-r.com slash subscribe where she has a free directory of curated podcasts and publications that she has pre-vetted to help you know who to pitch based on the audience you're looking to get in front of. I had such a blast talking with Cher on this episode, and I hope you took something meaningful away from listening to it. If you did, I'd absolutely love to hear about it. You can go to betterwellness.biz slash review and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, telling me what you learned and how you're going to apply it in your biz. Seriously, the reviews help keep me going, and I'd love to hear what you think. In the next episode, I'm going to be sharing what I see as the foundational elements for successfully marketing your online wellness business. And in next week's interview, I'm going to be talking with Jennifer Fugo about how she used podcasting to 10x her practice's revenue in a very short time frame. You're not going to want to miss that episode. As always, thank you so much for spending this time with me. I really, truly appreciate it. And until next time, keep building better.